There. I've said it. So where's the bolt of lightning? Secrets and lies. We're all in pain. Why can't we share our pain? I've spent my entire life trying to make people happy. And the three people I love the most in the world hate each other's guts. I'm in the middle. I can't take it anymore. Hello again. And welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And I did not have my COVID shot two days ago, thus my energy is way up way more than it was last week when we talked about Pather Pinchali. Um, it's night and day, man. It, it really You're is. Like it a really different is. person. I, I feel tremendously better. Um, awesome. And, and we'll see what, what kind of, what, what that energy does bringing it to the conversation that we are going to have uh, in, in a, not too long uh, before we talk about Mike Lee's secrets and lies. But before then, we'll give you some, some banter and some recommends. Ian, what the fuck have you been watching lately? Well, I I watched something that I kind of hope you guys, as a family, watched this week. Oh, the Mitchells, the Mitchells versus the Machines. So we have not had a lot of family time this last week, uh, but it is on my radar, and I, I know it exists, but I don't know much about it. Oh, it's it's great. You and the kids and Melissa, you I, you guys are really gonna dig this. So from the creative minds behind the Lego Movie and Spider Man into the Spider Verse, uh, it's this weird, awkward kooky family who happen to be like the only surviving well like nobody dies in this movie but everybody gets rounded up as these this artificial intelligence created by a very zuckerberg like character takes over and starts rounding up everybody and they're going to take over earth and they're going to blast everybody into space so it's up to this family to, to sort of figure it out and uh, and and take back control from the machines. Got a great voice cast. You've got um, God. Why am I blanking on her name? But it's uh, uh, one of the girls from um, Broad City is in there doing a voice. Oh, You've got um, yeah, yeah. Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, uh, Olivia Coleman voices the evil AI, which is just awesome. Uh, uh, John Legend, and then who is who's John Legend married to? What's her name? Chrissy. Chrissy Teigen. Help me. Chrissy Teigen. Yeah, they play the 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 neighbors next door that Maya Rudolph's character is obsessed with because she thinks they have like the perfect family life, and it's just this weird. It's it's nice. It's a nice combination of like the visual style, and and uh, sort of accomplished animation that was in spider-man into the spider-verse with just a touch of because i wasn't a fan of the lego movie sure and i'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody who does have adhd or add but that movie was like this is too much for me i'm like this is a movie for the add crowd it's just there is something happening literally and i think i've talked about it on the show before there's something happening literally every seven seconds 
in that movie. Like I, there must be a thousand cuts in that film because it's all just <laughs> happening so fast. And it's the Lego movie wasn't enjoyable for me because it was like an assault. Sure. But this, this, the, the Mitchells versus the machine is like a nice delicate balance of those two movies. And the lead character is, is great. Uh, God, I really wish I could remember that actress's name. Maybe we'll have to pause here for a second. You'll have to help me out. Abby Jacobson beat you to it oh that that is not that is not the name that was going to come to my mind anyway yeah there you go so yeah like i said one of the one of the girls from that great show broadstairs she plays a girl who is about to leave her overbearing family and go off to film school and she makes these great uh little shorts very poppy very very larger than life sort of short films i mean that's a really really enjoyable experience i I will say that I'd had a little bit of trouble with the pacing. Like we paused it at about the hour mark and I went, holy shit, how is there still 50 minutes of this movie? Yeah. But I mean, it, it really, it really held my attention. I mean, after that little bit of pacing, this, the slog in the middle, it really picks back up again. And the last hour of it just flew by. I was very, very pleasantly surprised. I, I will say I did see the, the runtime. It's, it's, it's just shy of two hours, which for an animated film is quite long. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be pushing it, but I was, like I said, genuinely very surprised. I think I think that team, uh, Chris Miller and I think it's Phil Lord. Phil Lord, yeah, Lord and Miller. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, they just, they knocked it out of the park with this one. Nice, nice. Well, so, uh, we, you know, we're recording this um, the Friday after Mother's Day, and um, it was, uh, we had done a bunch of stuff in the morning. You know, we had, we had, uh, we, we, we went shopping for patio furniture, because that's a thing that you do, apparently, when you're adults. Um and we were started kind of right to settle down a little bit, and we, we asked we asked Melissa what she wanted to watch, and she goes, "There's something something fun that I'd like." And uh, we were looking through the movies, and there was a movie that she had seen when she was when she was like a, a youth that I had not seen, and I I was I was hesitant to bring it up, uh, but so this is not like a recommend, but this is part of our, part of our banter. So our our family movie this week was um, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh boy. There's a flashback. Was that 2001? 2001. Yeah. Yeah. When we all thought Rachel Lee Cook was going to be like the next big thing. Um, and then, you know, that didn't really happen. Uh, in fact, actually, of those three, I, I think you probably would have gone Rachel Lee Cook's going to be the next big thing. And then and then Tara Reid and then Rosario Dawson. And I'd say I'd say Rosario Dawson probably has had the best career out of out of all of them. Oh, 100 uh, percent. Um. And God, you know, it was just and I, I know of the characters and, and I think the best, I, you know, the best part of the movie is is when it, they can it, they're really making fun of like the industry. But like um, Parker Posey plays like the big bad in it. And Alan Cumming plays like a really shitty like record executive. And um, the boy band at the top is pretty is pretty uh, is pretty great because it's um, it's Seth Green. And Brecken Meyer and Donald Faison and somebody else play like this boy band, and it's just the way they're milking it. It's it that that part was pretty funny, but it's also it's just like it's a series of really not funny bits stretched over like ninety minutes of montage and like bad lip syncing. It was it was <laughs> it was not good. It just. I think we watched it because it's. I don't. I think it's just high enough that we can never do it on below freezing. But um, you know. It was Mother's Day, and, and, and she wanted to watch it, so we, we watched fucking Josie and the Pussycats. Well, that dude, that cast is off the chain, but, I mean, Hannah Bar- it was a Hannah Barber cartoon, right? Yeah, it was a part of the, uh, the Archie and the Jughead world. 
Right. It's just their track record of cartoon to live action adaptations is not... I'm punching below the belt with some people. I'm sure there's a huge nostalgia cult following for the Flintstones movie and those couple of Scooby-Doo movies. But, I mean, they're, the, the track record is not amazing. Oh, no. I, I mean, the Scooby... Like, I, like, I think the thing about those movies is that it's... When you, when you see the casting, you're like, yeah! Of course, of course, John Goodman's gonna be fucking Fred Flintstone, right? Or like when you look at Scooby Doo, it's like, of course, Matthew Lillard's gonna be fucking Shaggy. Like, like there's just like I, you get excited about the casting more than anything else, and then oh, absolutely, ultimately, the product doesn't fucking matter because it's it's not <laughs> it's not gonna be good at all. Um, but it was fun to watch. I mean, it was, and you know, and I can't say uh, can't really say that Sophie enjoyed it, but Stella did. Stella was singing one of the songs from it for like the last four days. And it's just been like, Oh God, let it die. Just let it, yeah. let it go away. <laughs> oh, the joys of parenthood. <laughs> yep. Yep. They don't repeat the things you want them to, but the things that you don't want them to, they'll repeat endlessly. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to eat up too much of the running time here, but man, I've got, I've got some, just some rapid fire, bit of banter here because i like i said i have had a very productive movie watching week much much better than last week where i think i only watched like three movies over the course of last week but this week i've just been knocking it out of the park i'll start with i'll start with the crazy one so my arrow blu-ray copy of Waterworld showed up yeah so on sunday oh yeah you know we did the three hour ulysses cut of Waterworld, and let me tell you it's been a long time since i've seen it those extra 45 minutes don't help <laughs> That just that movie was a fucking disaster. I can't wait to watch it. I have not seen it yeah. yet, but it's. Are you guys? Is does it does it qualify for below freezing? I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be a great episode. I can't wait for that one. You guys have got to do it. Oh, we, I'm at some point we definitely will. Yeah. Uh, we also did uh, the day before. We did fighting with my family. The the Stephen Merchant wrestling movie, which yeah. was. I mean, it's. It's got some cheesy moments here or there, but everybody just fully commits, and yeah. that sort of like makes it worthwhile. Florence Pugh is fantastic in this role, and then you've got Nick Frost and uh, Lena uh, Lena Headey. Yeah, yeah. Lena Headley. Uh, what's her last name? I think you it's Headey. From no, Game of Thrones. There's, no, there's no L in there's her no last L? name. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah, from from Game of Thrones, you've also got like The Rock has a couple of scenes in it, and Vince Vaughn plays like sort of like the more down to earth character from Dodgeball in this. Like, the more relatable sort of everyman being the trainer. Like, Vince Vaughn is fucking great in this movie. Yeah. Um, so I was genuinely really taken aback, surprised by that one. Um, and then I revisited... Uh, before I revisited something that I really want to talk to you about, uh, I watched Wag the Dog, the Barry Levinson film. Yeah. Like, I, dude, I wanted to like it. Like, the first hour is pretty solid, but then, like most Barry Levinson films, they kind of just, like... It's a lot of great ideas up front, and then they don't leave themselves anywhere to go, so the last hour just kind of peters out. I have not seen that movie since circa 2001, 2002, but that movie is so... It's so dated. It's just like... yeah. The the concept of it is a bit... It's it's far-fetched now. I think... I mean, if I remember correctly, it was up for best either adapted or original screenplay, and I think it's because it is one of those kind of ingenious scripts... uh, with, again, with a hell of a cast. Right. Like, you think something with De Niro and Hoffman would, you know, hold up, stand the test of time, but that movie's been all but forgotten, I think. Yeah. 
But the the other one I revisited this week that, man, I forgot the power of this movie. And it sort of, it comes in like this weird early 2000s, like Ben Affleck was making literally anything that anyone passed him. You know, because you've got, what is it? He did fucking Reindeer Games, Geely, did the Jack Ryan movie, which was a totally terrible idea. But in between all of that shit that he was making, Changing Lanes. Okay. Changing Lanes is a genuinely great film with a cast that is just out of this world. It's him and him and Sam Jackson oh, yeah. sharing top billing. And then you've got uh, fucking Richard Jenkins, Sidney Pollock, William Hurt, Tony Collette, Amanda Peet. Like, it's a cast that just will not quit. And it's a great story about this little accident that happens on the FDR and Ben Affleck leaves the scene because he's like a big important lawyer who's got this like case there finds out that his bosses have used him to like take control of this charity and Sam Jackson is trying to like keep his family together because the wife is going to take the kids away to Oregon he's got he's, like, like a, just a, bought a house yeah it's like a custody thing he's dealing yeah, with yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like he leaves and of course Ben Affleck leaves the folder that he needs and it's a great what what I don't think people remember i think this movie should be you know more widely remembered than it is because it's a very great film about addiction and you know recovery and the program and and stuff like that i think it's a really good depiction of a guy on the edge as a recovering alcoholic and this one day just pushes him right up to the edge where he like at one point he's in a bar with a glass of bourbon like just ready to just throw it all away it's a really really great film it, it's a fucking solid movie. I mean, I remember, like, I, I think the reason I know I don't own it anymore was because that was like a, that was a four for 20 VHS at Hollywood Video. Oh, man. There you go. Like, Way back in the yeah. day. And, uh, but no, I remember, I remember really liking the movie. And I mean, and granted, yeah, I was, it's been almost two decades since I've seen it. Because I know I haven't seen it since I, the one time I saw it. But it. It's good. It is a solid movie that I, you know, for whatever reason, yeah, hasn't resurfaced. But yeah, it's coming up on its because that was a 2002 film. Yeah, yeah. No, I would love to see one of the one of the indie labels, you know, one of the boutique Blu-rays put out a, an anniversary edition of that. That would be, you know what? Fuck, that would be pretty cool. That'd be legit. I'd be, I would be excited to see that. Yeah, I'd even pay. I'd even pay Shout Factory money for it because I mean, no disrespect to Shout Factory, their their discs are for what you get. They can be a little bit overpriced. No, I they're the especially not the not the Scream Factory when they are right. like the the horror films that they put out. They are loaded. With, I mean, like I I haven't watched it yet, but like the Event Horizon I got. I mean, there are so many special features on it. It's just it's yeah. No, crazy. I looked at that disc. You are getting your money's worth, and a lot of the Hammer editions that because they've been really good about keeping some of those old Hammer movies alive, and they've they work with uh, John Carpenter a lot. Like a lot of John Carpenter movies are out on their label. Yeah, but if you if you look at the Shout Select, all all I would do is like look at. Look at their adaptation and look at what comes with it, and you'd realize that like nothing does. And yeah, I mean, it really it, it's for me. It's gonna have to be a movie that I don't like. I really that I don't own that like speaks to me because I I would. Yeah. But like otherwise, I'm not gonna upgrade. The only one I've upgraded was was you might laugh at me for this was the Deer Hunter because they did it in 4K. Um, but yeah, I've been looking at picking that one up. Yeah, 
And I I I I pen, I paid I paid the uh, the the twenty two bucks for Glenn Gary, which I think, considering there's only like I think two new interviews on it, I think twenty two was a little steep for that. But and see whatever. And I, I don't want to derail us yeah, too yeah, yeah, much yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. how overpriced Shout Factor is because I mean. Yeah, you know, calling the kettle. We're both huge Criterion fans, and you know how much money you can drop on one of those. Indeed, indeed. Um, so uh, I, I, you know, I, I think we're, I think we're moving on to recommends. I, don't, I we didn't discuss who was going to go first. Well, I have a, I have a Mike Lee film. So if you want me to take us in, okay. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, so my, my recommend almost was The Witch. Because we rewatched that this week. Oh, what a what a great movie! Um, but I decided to go with something that I had never seen before, and Melissa hadn't seen before, and this was this was a first time watch for us. And this might surprise. I I will be curious to see if this surprises you or not. But um, my recommend this week is um, the I believe it was the third Frank Darabont film, The Mist. Oh yes, the the Mist is. Uh, I think this is fourth film because you've also got the yeah you've also got the majestic in there. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that was him. My bad. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyways, though, so it's uh, it's it's Frank Darabont returning to his sort of favorite source material, which is Stephen King. Um, and plot wise, it's I mean it's real basic. It's it's Thomas Jane plays like a painter, and uh, he lives somewhere on the eastern seaboard. And uh, there's a big storm and they wake up and shit's happened. And uh, basically a big group of people are at a grocery store in this small town um, trying to get supplies and stuff because they're not sure. I think power's out and whatnot. And then this this mist rolls in and people start dying and they don't quite know what's what's happening. And it's essentially this group of people inside of this convenience store trying to get by, trying to survive. Um, and that, like, at its base level, that's what it's about. But then... There's all, there's all this other stuff that's happening. There's um, Marsha Gay Harden. Holy shit. She is swinging for it. She's playing almost like she's a very um, religious person that takes a sort of evangelical stand within the group of people being like this. You made this happen. You sinners. And like she's she's preaching like like Jim Jones style um, in in the grocery store. And then you've got people trying to leave and there's converts going on her side. And it's this. It's this really intense drama about what would you do in a situation like this. Um, I mean, the only what I'll say is there there is a lot of CG and it's not great, and that is probably the the weakest link is that there's it's it in in its way it's kind of a creature feature, um, and but like as somebody and Ian I know you know this about me like I a movie should not rest on visual effects. Like I don't like, I don't give a shit how cool something looks like if the story's not interesting, I don't care. So I, I forgave the, the VFX in this film because I was so into the simplicity of the story and the, the earnestness of the actors in it. Um, Toby Jones plays the store clerk and he fucking knocks it out of the park. Um, I want to get the name right here. Uh, uh, Lori Holden, who people would recognize from The Walking Dead, um, also a Frank Darabont thing, um, plays like this, just like this random lady who befriends Thomas Jane, and like it's the interpersonal relationships and the 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 tenseness and holy shit, the bleakness of the ending. I now, oh, now it's got an ending that will fuck you sideways. Now I here's the thing: I had heard about the ending. I've known about the ending for a decade, right? So I was curious, like, but like, but like when you hear about it, it, it's very vague, right? It's like, oh, it's, this is, this is kind of what happens. But I have no, I had no context for how we got there. 
And we were even minutes away from it happening. I was still like, wait, so what is this? And then like when the ending happens, it's just like, fuck. It, the movie is saying, fuck you. Fuck you. You, this is what happens sometimes, and you're gonna sit and fucking deal with it. And when yeah, they, no, specific, specifically you, like it's really yes. coming. It's like it's a grisly, no holds barred. Like it's it's a movie that gives no shits. Yeah, and that's and that's honestly part of what I I fucking loved about it. It 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 just came right at you. Um, yeah. What a and what a fun. What a great like you know we we split a bottle of wine because we didn't know what to expect we just kind of figured it's gonna be kind of horrific um but like really came through really fucking just knocked it out it of really the does and it really does did you guys watch the the black and white version no I it, it came with it but I could not here's the thing <laughs> I just put it out there there's no way in fuck I could have con- convinced Melissa to watch the black and white one it, there's just no way. <laughs> I, I hear it's I hear it's better. There's uh, there's something about like the visual effects that work better in black and white. I could imagine that because part of it's the um, the colors are almost too vibrant. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 yeah, the black and white probably tones it down, makes it feel more like I mean, a comic this, book. This whole new wave of like people embracing black and white for you know Mad Max and Logan and and Justice League and stuff like that. I yeah. mean, some of them work, some of them don't. But I I uh, I do think the black and white version of the Mist really works. Nice. Well, next time next time if, if we watch it again and I watch it with her, I'll I'll convince her to do it because absolutely. I'd be, and if curious. you guys haven't done and if you guys haven't done Black and Chrome yet, the the Fury Road black and white version, holy shit, it's so good. You know, I can't go back. I can't go back to the color version. I have I a very, can't. I have a very basic Blu-ray copy of it, and eventually, when I upgrade to 4K, I'll make sure that it has that that with it. Cause, yeah, because oh, I, I, you gotta, yeah, yeah. you gotta. So, anyways, that's mine. It, it nothing to do with Mike Lee, but but I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. We really fucking enjoyed the Mist, so that's my recommend this week. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's a great recommend. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but anyway, I guess I'll uh, I guess I'll lead us in to the show. I do have a I do have another uh, Mike Lee. I did watch a couple of Mike Lee movies this week. I also intended to watch a couple more. I intended to watch uh, Naked, which I had this back and forth with you. I could have sworn and shout out to to Mike at Cinemas for helping me out, giving me a list of everything that is in the book and has also come out of it. Uh, I could have sworn Naked was in there. Like, I I can see it's on a half a page. It's got the shot of David Thewlis with the, the woman's leg that's in the stockings, you know, those sort of fishnet stockings. I swear to God, I can see this page in the book. So somebody help me out. If you've got, like, the second revision are with you Jack sure, Nicholson on the cover. Are you sure you're just not seeing Naked Lunch? No, because, yeah, I thought that, too. I was like, no, I swear to Christ, Naked was in there at one point. Anyway, I don't want to derail no, I, yeah, yeah. I I wanted to watch Naked... Honestly, if you don't own a physical copy of it or have a Criterion Channel collection, it's nowhere. You can't even rent it on Prime or Vudu or any of the other big streaming platforms. It's just not there yeah. for whatever reason. I did, however, I watched uh, like his first big theatrical release, and it wasn't even that big. I think it only got a theatrical release in the UK. I watched Mean Time, mm-hmm. which has got Alfred Molina... Um, Phil Daniels from Quadrophenia. It's a very early role. In fact, coincidentally, it's the second film for both Gary Oldman and Tim Roth. Okay. And I, dude, I tried. It's even got uh, Trunch, Trunchbull, the lady that plays her in oh Matilda. My God. She's right. in it. Oh, yeah, hell yeah, dude. I, I tried, man. This movie just wasn't grabbing me. It's a very, like, Thatcher esque 80s British film. Sure. Uh, 
the piano in it is just maddening. Like the score in it, and I'll talk about that in Secrets and Lies. Scores in Michael E. movies don't do anything for me. Okay. Uh, so I did that. Uh, obviously, I did Secrets and Lies, which we're about to talk about. But my recommend is Vera Drake from 2004, or the Melda Stanton. Dude, this again, you want to talk about another stacked cast. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phil, Phil Davis. Eddie Marzen, Adrian Scarborough from Gosford Park, Daniel Mays, who people will know he popped up in uh, Rogue One, Leslie Manville, Sally Hawkins, a very, very young, baby-faced Chris O'Dowd yes. in one scene. Yeah. Uh, Ruth Sheen, Leslie Sharp, Peter White, who are all uh, Mike Lee regulars, and then in a great little cameo as the judge at the end, Jim Broadbent. Uh, so Vera Drake, she's... Um, She's this this woman who's just got a heart of gold, yes. loves her family, would do absolutely anything for everybody. Even, you know, when she's not working or taking care of her own family, she's taking care of other people's families, stopping in on people who are, you know, out of work or, or disabled or can't work for whatever reason. Uh, but the, the big thing that she does after hours is she's an abortionist. And this is like 1950s Britain, you know, post-war Britain. Yeah. You know, we're still recovering from from the blitz and they're still rationing and there's all this stuff. And she doesn't she doesn't do it to earn extra money. She does it because, you know, there are girls that get themselves into trouble. Not She's, obviously not yeah. through any means of their own. There is a terrible scene where the Sally Hawkins character essentially gets raped. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that I really, really appreciated about the movie is that you could you could argue that all the Leslie Manville Sally Hawkins stuff maybe doesn't need to be in there. I think I think a lot of because I've seen about a third of Mike Lee's movies now, and I even the shorter ones like Meantime they do run pretty long for the subject matter. Uh, I think his movies do suffer for some pacing issues, but I think it's really important to have that Sally Hawkins scene in there because I love the juxtaposition of seeing the sort of the the privacy and the care that Vera Drake puts into these back alley abortions versus the sort of indignation that she has to go through doing it through the actual legal process. The scene with the psychiatrist is really fucking tough. Yeah. Like that really like knocked me for six, but I mean, really, really beautiful movie. Imelda Stanton gives, she gives a hundred, 110% in this role. It's a really sweet, really restrained performs i looked at the other people that were nominated i that did year. too she, yeah so she got a best actress nod you also had annette benning in there for being julia that's the obviously only hillary. that's the only one of these of this group i hadn't i have not yeah, seen me as well and then obviously hillary swank won for million dollar baby you've got kate winslet in there for eternal sunshine uh who's the fifth one uh it's uh i, I forget her name but it's she's from maria full of grace oh dude and maria full of grace what what a movie yeah you've you've seen that right oh that yeah is, Dude, Dude that we, we talked about that else. back at Stanwood High School, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know. Did you find it or did I? Because I know I bought it on a... It was a blind buy from Hollywood Video. D- ditto. Ditto. Yeah. 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 And I, so one of the best blind buys ever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and the, th- yeah, the thing about Vera Drake is that it does... I mean, and, and, and I, you know, I am not a Mike Lee aficionado. I think I've actually, to be on the record, I think I've only seen three of his films. Um, and they are all long and they do have, they each have scenes that probably you don't need. Um, but like you, you set up her character so well, right. That, you know, even when, when she's asked about it later, she, it's like, she's just, she's helping these young girls. That's she, that's how she consistently refers to it as I'm helping these young women in trouble. And yeah, she doesn't take money for it. And oh my, and the, 
the pain on her face when she realizes that the woman who sets these up has been taking money. I mean, it's yeah. just it's it's heartbreaking. The, the, the betrayal yeah. there. It really. Yeah, it really, really is. I love the relationship between her and Phil Davis. That's I mean, that's a real that's a that's a real beautiful married couple. And he always talks about how lucky he is to have her and what a heart of gold she has. And, you know, he never he never looks he, we never see like the pain of betrayal in his face. Because he he understands his wife. He understands why she would do this and that she would never, ever do anything to put a woman's life in jeopardy. Like, he's really... The fact that he stands by her and the conversations that he has with the kids about needing to stand by her are all just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I think the other thing... Because I, I watched this uh, movie this week as well. And um, I think that the, that the one thing that I want, I'd want to say to anybody who's who's curious to watch it is that yes, this is about a woman in the 50s performing abortions. Um, but it is not grotesque. There is nothing like it, it is not, uh, there's the, in a very real way, you don't see anything that you don't feel like that you should see. If that, if that makes sense, I, I'm, I'm trying to yeah, be, it's, it's carried, no, it's carried out with a lot of dignity. Yes. Yeah. I, so it's not, there's no, I would say that there's nothing gratuitous about the film. Yeah, I think even the it's a tough pill to swallow and a, a difficult thing to say. Even the rape scene is handled, you know, very. It's not handled with kids' gloves. I mean, they're not trying to hide anything from you, but it's also it's not gratuitous. They, and they cut away before it gets. I mean, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And it's and then the rest is implied. You can put. You can make. You know, your mind connects the dots. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Vera Drake, incredible movie. Yeah. For sure. Hell, I I could sit here and just do an episode about Vera Drake. Yeah, and, and and granted, I I I watch it as well, and I also, I mean, I mean, it's your recommend, but I also w- would recommend it too to anybody. It's oh, fantastic. So there you go. You've got uh, uh, the Mist and Vera Drake. Those are our recommends this week. But now we're gonna kick it over to the film of discussion, and that would be Mike Lee's nineteen ninety six film Secret and Lies. Um, this film uh, is starring um, Timothy Spall as Maurice. Brenda Blethen as uh, Cynthia, that is his sister. Um, and then let's see, how do I how do I want to go about the, the cast here? Um, Phyllis Logan plays Monica, that is Maurice's uh, wife. Claire Rushbook plays Roxanne, that is Cynthia's daughter. Uh, Marianne Jean Baptiste plays Hortense, which uh, to get into the, to the plot a little bit here is um, Cynthia's uh, daughter, who she gave up when she was just a young kid herself. And then um, some of the other characters, uh, we have Elizabeth Barrington, who plays Jane. That's um, Timothy Spall's assistant at his photography studio. Um, Lee Lee Ross plays Paul. He's Roxanne's uh, boyfriend, <laughs> kind of. Slash fuck buddy. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then uh, a couple of small roles to shout out, I guess. Uh, Leslie Manville, also, yeah, a very a Mike Lee regular, plays Jenny. She's the, the social worker helping out uh, Hortense. And then... I, I'll, I'll say this guy, Ron Cook plays Stewart in a scene that uh, is interesting, but probably doesn't need to be in the movie. <laughs> See, that's, yeah, that's the one. That's probably, like, if you need to, like, because the movie is two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. 22 minutes, something like that. Like, if you're to, like, lose anything, like, the Ron Cook scene could immediately come out. Yeah. yeah well, but I also, I also kind of like it. I also don't know that I would cut yeah, it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, because I, I have thoughts on that as well. Um, anybody else that you want to shout out, though? 
Well, no, there's just a, there's a bunch of of Lee regulars, and there's the whole yeah. As we're establishing Morris and his Photoshop, there's a whole montage where we see him doing just his daily work and taking family portraits. And there's a whole lineup of Michael Lee regulars in there, including Phil Davis, who I was just talking about uh, in Vera Drake. Also Ruth Sheen as well. They're both in in Vera Drake. So. If you're a Mike Lee fan, be on the lookout for all those cameos. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So let's get to the accolades. Um, This film was up for a bunch of Academy Awards. It was up for Best Picture, uh, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Screenplay. It lost a handful of those to The English Patient. Um, Brendan Blethyn lost Best Actress to Frances McDormand for Fargo. Um, And it also lost Screenplay to Fargo as well. Um, I want to. T- I want to talk about. Sorry, no. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just said 1996 well, Academy Award nominees for Best Picture. Weird year. Weird year. I. Uh, you know, I haven't seen The English Patient in. I'm gonna guess 20 years, and it left no impression on me the first time I saw it. I I have seen it twice, and the second time really doesn't help. Okay, that's. Yeah. I was going. I was going to assume so. Like, I d- don't want to speak ill of the dead, but Anthony Minghella, weird filmography. Yeah, like a, just a, a fully loaded Oscar bait filmography. I, I, you know, I, and, I, and I think a fan, he missed. I'm I think a fan he missed more than he Mr. hit. Mr. Ripley. That, but that's about. But yeah, that one's that one's not bad. Yeah. I still haven't seen Cold Mountain. Oh God, who? Cold Mountain just sounds long. Like, and, I look and, at that running time, and I'm like, I'm going to feel every minute of this. And you know what? I've read the book. I had to read the book in, in high school. Oh, and, God, I remember you talking about this. the book is just the same way. It's like, That's, oh, yep. my God. I'm having, to, like, I'm having a flashback to this conversation from, <laughs> like, 15, painful. 16 years ago now. <laughs> um, but sorry, but I cut you off. What, what were you going to say? Well, I just when it comes to to screenwriting nominations, so so I looked, I looked at, at Mike Lee. Mike Lee has seven... Academy Award nominations. Um, two of them are for directing. The other five are all for writing. Yep. Now, anybody who knows anything about Mike Lee, he he is not a, a script writer. He is a script divisor. And I think he even uses that credit in some of his movies. He calls himself a divisor, meaning that he doesn't write scripts. He has an idea. He has a vague sort of outline of a plot. And then he casts everybody. They get in a room. And they kind of write the script through improvisation. Yep. So to have screenplay nominations almost seems like there's a basic lack of understanding of how they put his films together. But then again, I, what I, I then what I love about it though is that they're embracing the idea that he's the idea of the story is strong enough that that even that I mean and and who knows how the Academy members vote, but like. I think it says a lot to even the the basis of the plot that 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 is enough to garner these nominations. Now I don't I don't want to come across as sounding like I have a problem with that. I I love that. I love that it is a fully they are embracing the idea of cinema as a fully collaborative medium. We are making this story together. But it kind of sort of flies in the face of what actual screenwriters do, right? I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's it's tough. You would want to. You would want. You'd have to nominate all the actors as well for script writing at that point. Well, and that's and and I don't. I won't go on this 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 huge tangent. But like, I've I've done a lot of devising in theater, right? And devising is a collaborative idea, right? There's a there's a source material or there's a jumping off point. There's something that is 
uniting the group, but that everybody is sort of throwing in their two bits. Now, um, in a couple of projects I've been on, there have been like head writers, right? There have been people who have sort of taken charge and like, okay, here's where it's going. So now we're going to kind of write scenes around the characters you developed and stuff. But it's it's different. It's different with every every group and every situation. So it's 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 hard to say. But I'm I I love I love the recognition. Yeah. So so you're not opposed to it. Then. Not opposed at all. Okay. Yeah. I just I kind of wanted to feel feel you out on that one, see where you stood. Like I I'm kind of I'm in two minds about it. Well, like I don't, I don't know that it necessarily is. The fact that the fact that it's the 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 balance there is, you think that there would be more directing noms versus screenplay noms. I think was the point that I was trying to make. Well, but and that's weird because I I I I find and again in the few movies that I've seen of his, it's not a strong visual style. It, like the directing isn't necessarily, I think, the strong point of the films. I think it's the performances and the and the story. So I'm I'm right, not right. as surprised. But okay. Fair enough. Um, at the Golden Globes, uh, Brenda Blethyn won Best Actress there. Uh, it lost Best Picture and um, Best Supporting Actress. At the BAFTAs, it won Best British Film, Actress, and Original Screenplay, but lost Film, Director, Actor for Timothy Spall and Supporting Actress. Picked up a SAG nom for Brenda Blethyn. At Cannes, it won the Palme d'Or and Best Actress, and the Ecumenical Jury Prize. Uh, it, it picked up a DGA and a WGA nom, and it was on the National Board of Review's Top 10 Films of the Year. It is not currently on the IMDb 250. and has a 95% critical and a 91% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's also on Ebert's great movies list. He was a huge Michael E. fan it, by the sound of it. It is. And, um, you know, I, I, I read both reviews, but I, I, I really like, um, the, the, the first one. Um, I, 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 I did too. I, I preferred his original review versus I, I, the, the great I, movies one. I pulled a little from that. Um, Moment after moment, scene after scene, secrets and lies unfolds with the fascination of eavesdropping. We are waiting to see what these people will do next, caught up in the fear and the hope that they will bring the whole fragile network of their lives crashing down in ruin. When they prevail, when common sense and good hearts win over lies and secrets, we feel almost as relieved as if it had happened to ourselves. And then the, the last paragraph, too, is he says, One intriguing aspect of the film is the way Lee handles race. The daughter is black. The mother is white. The family has no idea. Um, oh, the family has no idea that Cynthia, ha Cynthia had another child, and yet race is not really on anybody's mind in this film. That they think that there are more important things to worry about, and they're right. Which is that's a good review. It I is. I like it. And 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 there, yeah, it's it is, and and it reminds me so much of like, you know, how much I like I like Ebert's reviews. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much all I got to say. Um, I know. Film cri film criticism is in desperate need of a voice like his. Yeah, I, uh, I I do I miss him. Were you surprised at how little trivia and behind the scenes things there were about this movie? Uh, there's there's almost nothing. Yeah, almost nothing. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, so with that having said, oh no, do you want to do the plot? Oh, Let's sure, do the yeah. plot, and then I'll then I'll do my thing. So, so very basically, and this is very much a slice of life film, kind of like uh, kind of like last week's film. Um, uh, basically, you've got this this family. Um, 
Uh, Timothy Spall plays Maurice. Um, he is a photographer. He seems to be doing fairly well off. Him and his wife have moved recently, um, but they are dealing with uh, some marital trouble that doesn't really reveal itself until the end, and I guess I'll be vague now to not spoil it before we talk about it. Um, he has a sister named Cynthia who lives in the house that they grew up in. Um, Cynthia is the older sibling, and apparently there was a lot going on with uh, their father dying, and she had to t- basically raise him, and she's she's dealing with a lot of issues uh, of her own, uh, one of them being her daughter who seems to be kind of, I, I can't tell if she's a recovering addict or is what's her, what exactly is her situation. Um, but she's barely getting by and she's got a birthday coming up. But Cynthia, I think kind of feels that she's missed out on a, on a youth that she never got. Um, and is trying, I think to sort of be kind of live vicariously through her daughter. And then we've got, uh, um, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, who plays Hortense, whose mother has just died, who knows that she was adopted and um, decides that she now wants to finally meet her birth mother, which turns out to be Cynthia. And they meet, and it doesn't go very well at first, but they sort of develop a relationship. And then over time, at Roxanne's 21st birthday party, um, Cynthia decides that Hortense should come. And then this is the, the birthday party is where a lot of these secrets and lies, if we take the title of the film seriously there, um, kind of come out into the open. So that's sort of... Oh, and then and when Timothy Spall said the line, he's tired of the secrets and lies, I had that... I'm not trying to be flippant about the movie, but you know that meme ever since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out where Leo Leo is pointing at his FBI episode. Yeah, yeah. I had that moment. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, sh- there it is. He said it. There, he said the title you know, of the movie. I, uh, I'll, I'll save it because we're, we're not there yet. But yes, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's That was a, that was yeah. a moment. So obviously we're going to have to be very spoilery. The movie is called Secrets and Lies, and we are going to have to talk very openly about those secrets and lies if we're to review the film properly. (laughs) So if you haven't seen Secrets and Lies, I guess turn the episode off and and come back to it. Uh, So this is the point in the episode where I ask Adam, do you love lists? I love lists. I love lists. Ah, I love lamp. So I have, uh, I was just going to do the top 10, but I'm, I'm, kind of interested in the whole list taste of cinema which is an online again like vulture like those guys I, you read any of taste I, of cinema i fucking hate their lists i know i mean I, know. I read them because they make me angry but yeah well this one with with a few exceptions this one's not bad so in 2014 they did the 15 best british films from the 1990s mm. so i didn't go i didn't go with an alternative list i've gone with a very no very basic yeah. sort of you know bringing it back down to earth uh, I, I will I will try to find an alternative list next week if the episode allows me to. Uh, so anyway, starting off, I'm just going to run down the whole thing. I'll do the top, the, the 15 through 11, just rapid fire. Sure. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's first movie called Shopping with uh, with Jude Law. It was also a big, uh, like Jude Law's very first big sort of film. Cool. Uh, I don't know anything about Shopping other than those two facts there. paul ws anderson jude law boom uh number 14 is notting hill which i actually i revisited that like two or three weeks ago and it's oh it's got some moments but it's just as bad as i remember it <laughs> there you go and that goddamn ronan keating song you say it best when you say nothing at all which they play like eight fucking times in the movie I'm exaggerating, of course, but they, they play it too much. It's a song that essentially says you say it best when you shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah. It's a terrible song. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels at 13. Lovely. Great movie. Love that movie. Shakespeare in Love at number 12. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Again, like like English Patient, I haven't seen it in like 20 years, so yeah, I don't have a yeah. leg to stand on. Uh, I very much went looking for number 11 because it's also... We're doing Secrets and Lies because it's 25th anniversary, 
Uh, we also did Train Spotting earlier this year, which 25th anniversary of that too. There's another 25th anniversary film on this list, Brassed Off, with Ewan McGregor and Pete Postlewaite, which is very much like it was like the precursor a little bit to Full Monty, this brass band that's trying to like this old, like old steel mill brass band, like trying to like stay relevant and, and earn some money. Like it's literally nowhere. If you don't own like a DVD copy of it, this thing is just it's disappeared into the ether <laughs> but number 10 should be no surprise uh four weddings and a funeral okay love it all right i i well i do until like the last 10 minutes because uh, i'm sorry andy mcdowell and hugh grant are just not good in that movie uh number nine is a terrence davis film which i don't know anything about it's called the long day closes in reading about it it was kind of it seems like it's very much like a long uh, the british version of cinema paradiso and they were comparing it to alan clark movies okay all right. Uh, number eight, the madness of King George, which we've talked about on the show. Neither we still neither of us have seen. And neither that. of us have seen it. Nope. Yep. Uh, number seven, of course. I think it should be higher. The full Monty. Okay. Fuck. Yep. I adore. I adore the full Monty, it's and I've so made the fun. case several times for it to be in this book. Yeah. It fucking should be. Uh, number six can fuck right off. It's a crying game. Fuck. Why'd you sting me then? <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, I cannot, I can't, I will not, I refuse to let go of how bad Forrest Whitaker is in that movie. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, number five is a movie I own and have not seen yet, but I'm very excited to, The Remains of the Day, Merchant Ivory film with Anthony Hopkins. I, I saw that when I was like 14 and I can't, like I just don't Probably even know what happens. Way too young. Yeah. Well, it's a butler that's dealing with like the death of his, his master, his old lord, who yeah. was like a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number four is Shallow Grave, yeah. which is just Good fucking great. Yep. I love that movie. Uh, number three is Why We're Here, it's Secrets and Lies. Okay, got it. Number two, Train Spotting. If you go back a couple months, we did that one. Indeed. Love that movie. Number one, and again, so pissed off I didn't get around to it. I should have just done a month-long trial of uh, Criterion Channel is Naked. Another, so oh. Mike, Lee's, Mike Lee's got two on here. Got it. Danny Boyle's got two on here. But there, I mean, there you are. And I guess also Roger Roger Michelle because I guess he directed both Four Weddings and Notting Hill, much to the chagrin of. Uh, no, that was for, the, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Was Mike Newell? Is it Mike Newell? Yeah. Oh well, fuck me, Ronnie. Then yeah. either way, I know that I know that the I can't remember the, the name of the writer. Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis. Yeah, yeah. I know that he's probably very pissed off that he didn't get to direct either of those because, yeah, whatever. It's okay. I'm sure he'll be just he's, fine. He's he's better when somebody else directs his writing. Let's let's be fair. Love actually is too fucking long. Uh, I like Love Actually. It's but it's fine though. I, I dude, it's too long. It doesn't. I I still I love it. I love it. And I I've 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 it's it's come full circle now. And now I'm in the minority. And I'm I'm just fine with that. See, no, look, I like Love Actually, but the whole Laura Lenny thing needs to come out. Like yeah. that whole subplot needs to come out. I'm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Um. Okay. So, uh, I want to I want to I want to take you back. I'm gonna take you back to uh, two days ago. It's, it's 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 Wednesday evening, and I'm gearing up to watch Secrets and Lies. Oh, it's funny. I, we did it. We did it Wednesday night too. That was my Mike. I did three Mike Lee movies in a day. Holy shit! Well, look which at that. Which probably it's probably I ended on Secrets and Lies, which was probably not good for Secrets and Lies. Eh. Well, we'll well, we'll we'll find out, I guess. Um, but like I, I had a sense of apprehension, and now this was the first time that you had seen it, right? Yeah. Okay. So I I had seen it before. I know I know at some point like either 
late into my high school years or early in college, I was definitely I was making a concerted effort to to watch all of the best picture nominees from the 90s, right? The ones because I'd seen a lot of the obvious ones around the same time. I'd probably seen Remains of the Day and like Il Postino and some of these other ones that I just like, oh, I've never seen these. Let's let's try to watch them. Um, And I don't I don't remember not liking Secrets and Lies, but. Like when when Criterion announced it, it it didn't meet this sense of like giddiness that sometimes other movies do when I when I see something like that, and I was just like kind of dreading watching this movie, and then like thirty minutes in, I was like, "What the fuck was I thinking? This movie is fucking awesome. I loved this movie." This this will be this will be a good conversation then because that first hour, whoo! That first hour is it's a lot, man. It's a drag. Like I was I was pulling teeth during that first hour. See, and and I think, I think what I liked so much about it was they weren't spoon feeding us anything. Um, and that's that's totally fair. And and I agree with that. I I don't I couldn't I I mean I couldn't tell you how long into the movie this this part happens, but there's a moment where. Uh, Timothy Spall has come home and his, his wife is like vacuuming behind the door and she's like, didn't you hear me? And like, they get into this argument right, right there. And he, and he's, he doesn't know what he's even walked into. And he's like, Oh, okay. And he, he goes and he asks, like, do you want to, do you want a bottle of wine? And she's like, if I wanted the drink, I'd get one. Wouldn't you think? And, and he's just, he's just like, fuck it. Okay. I, I don't, I, okay. And, and then she actually wants some milk. And then she's like, I bet you're hungry. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. And, and, and there's this weird, like, there's this, like pretty like epic argument going on between them. And you have no fucking idea why, but for me, like that's what I thought was so interesting about so many parts of this movie, right? There's a scene even before that where they're getting along and they're talking about, we, we find out later they're talking about Roxanne, but we're like, who was this person that they're talking about this? There's a birthday coming up and is she back on the streets and what the fuck are they? Uh, what, what is all this? I, I loved how little information they gave us. I, I that that's actually what um, pulled me in more at the start. I, yeah, no, I would agree. It's it's almost I've made this comparison before, but it's a it's like a Sorkin script. It forces us to play catch up to fill in the information as we go. It's just I don't know, man. It's the the pacing. Every single Mike Lee movie, and I, there's Mike Lee movies. I loved Mr. Turner. I think Mr. Turner is a fucking masterpiece. I still need to see that. Uh, it's dude it's really good but even every every single one of his movies has like this just sluggish sort of like it just it just grinds along nothing is in a real hurry which is you know i i made the i made the case for Pather panchali last week being like that but being i i enjoyed i enjoyed Pather panchali a lot more than this and like from the beginning i'll go back even further in the runtime on secrets and lies i was irritated like from the i hate those like it's got a very the opening is very made for TV, with the way those titles hold on, hold scroll on. across the bottom of the screen and fade out. Like even that, I disliked. You know what I mean? It felt that the production values on it, the quality of it. Mike Lee cut his teeth in TV, making a lot of of British TV shows and a lot of made for TV movies. And when you look at, especially a lot of his earlier career, I mean, all the going all the way up through. Up to like Vera Drake and maybe like Happy Go Lucky, I still feel like he was making theatrical made for TV movies. 
Well, and and see, and I think you know more about that than than I do. I'm not, I'm not I and I and I can't say that I've I've I knew that about him really. Um, but there's, I don't know. There's just something about the way that I like I I liked. I don't know, man. That I did. I see. I liked the pacing. I don't, and I don't know why. And I think maybe. The, like the reason, like the the pacing of something like this draws me in more than something like the the, the pacing of 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 Pather Panchali is that I was just so, I was so hooked into the relationships and and what was going on, um, uh, and just well, I like, think there's a lyricism to Pather Panchali that engaged me more than this. Sure, sure, and I mean there was just like and, and watching the slow build, and maybe it's because I'd seen this before, um. And but like so, I was kind of familiar, but not solid on like what was going to happen. But sort of knowing that these two worlds were going to collide, and maybe that's I don't because I don't maybe you didn't know that that's where that was going. But like, well, yeah, I knew it was about like an adopted child that okay. was going to be searching for her mother. Uh, but yeah, no, go on, continue. Oh, just that kind of scene. Like we're at the funeral uh, for Hortense's mother, and um, and that's all happening. And then we and then when we finally get back to we finally meet Brenda Blethen, um and we're like, Jesus, these are the two that are going to have to meet, right? And we just see how level-headed and and very focused Hortense is, and like, and then you've got you've got Cynthia who just is like a hot mess and is just trying to grab on to anything stable, or, or, or actually, fuck that, anything at all, because Roxanne is by no means stable, and um, and and you know, Brenda Bluffton plays one of those characters who like. I'll be honest, like, this is a kind of character I fucking hate, but I hate yeah. so much because, like, of the convincingness of the the portrayal of a person like this. That's, that's really what I want to get into the nitty-gritty about, are the performances in this movie, because I feel like, again, I'll come back to that made-for-television argument. There are some actors in this movie who are clearly television actors and are still operating at that level versus actors who maybe have done more theater, maybe have done more films, and the divide between them is fucking huge. Okay, this could get this could get interesting. Okay, keep keep, yeah. keep going. Uh now here's the thing is I I've met people like the Brenda Blethen character. Like I there are people in my I'm not gonna say names so I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I, I know people like Brenda Blethen. Sure. So yeah, that, that personality type really really gets under my skin it's really she is so shrill if i had to hear the word sweetheart or darling one more fucking time sweetheart. in that shrill voice i was gonna fucking rip my ears off um here's here's the deal i don't want to sound i'm empathetic to the character sure like, yeah. my my heart bleeds for that character i mean that to get really spoilery right up front the beautiful long take where her and hortense have been reunited and it's just that, that two shot in the cafe and it's like an unbroken 10 minute take. Yeah. And she's talking about, well, she's that. And that's the thing. That's the thing I love that Ebert brought up in his review. Sorry, I'm going to try and pack as much as I can into this one thing. Uh, Ebert's talking about how race isn't important in this movie. And the way that race is handled, I feel, is very delicate. Uh, thing that I think really does that, it, you know, it's this. that's something that like earns the movie big points in my mind. Um She's talking about, like, well, like, look at me. Like, there's no way I could be your mother. It's, she says, look at me, not look at you, which I think is really important. Um, and she's like, I'd remember if I was with a black man, right? And then all of a sudden, she does remember. What I love about this film is what it says about suppressed memory. Yeah. Trauma and suppressed memory. She never comes out and says it. She was clearly raped. Well, I don't think we have to, I don't think we have to, like, 
connect the dots too much to get to that conclusion. Yeah, and and not only that, but also, I mean, she says that she was 16 when she gave her away. So right. there's clearly a lot. And and then yeah. even and then even later on, like at the at the birthday party, and I, I flagged this because I, I I didn't even know exactly what she meant by this, but she said something about how her father sent her away somewhere, and they never say where that place is or for what purpose necessarily, but like that she had to go somewhere. And like, that's another thing that gets referenced, but that never gets explained. And right. Yeah. There's a lot of like shame. Yeah. She's carrying a world of shame on her shoulders because of obviously the shame and you know, the, that her father felt. Yeah. Um, hey, what coming back around to, to Brenda Blethyn, it's a great character. It's a garbage performance. And and so so here's this is great because I think this is this is where I I I have a question in response to what you just said. All right, I, I'm speaking in hyperbole. No, 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 I probably no. shouldn't use the word garbage because no, she's but, doing a fucking mountain of work. But, I'll retract the word garbage, and I'll just say it's it's a really not great performance. I'm not. How I, about that? I'm not nitpicking your words. And trust me. And and hopefully what I'm going to say is actually kind of in a way supporting what you said. How was Marianne Jean-Baptiste nominated for Best Supporting Actress? I think because she's so restrained and level-headed. But it's it's I, I'm coming back to the Forrest Whitaker thing. Forrest Whitaker in Crying Game is swinging for it so fucking hard that nobody else has to do much work in order to look great. Sure. But, like, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, the way that she can listen to somebody... And like her, her silent tears at multiple parts throughout the movie, the way that she is responding to things. I mean, yes, you do. There are characters who who generate all the action, and then there are characters who have to react. There are there are the reactive characters, and yes, yes, Hortense is a reactive character. Um, but man, every time she was on screen, I was just blown away by what she was doing. I thought she was fucking incredible. And it was, and like, I get that Brenda Bluffin has the, you know, she's got the showier performance and that's, and it goes back to this idea. And it was so funny. Cause I, I think I've been thinking a lot about this now about characters or about actors who have won Oscars or even been nominated, right. For playing really kind of outlandish characters, but really their emotional, their emotional through line is razor thin razor thin right i think of somebody like and and don't uh, hopefully you see where i'm going with this i think of somebody like javier bardem in no country for old men right did he create a really menacing interesting character fuck yes he did his emotional arc throughout the movie it's it's about as thin as a piece of paper and it's like so what are we rewarding right are we rewarding the character creation or are we rewarding the ups and downs and it's so funny what the oscars tend to, I mean, not recognize because obviously Marianne Jean-Baptiste did get a nomination, but like who they, who they decide to give the awards to. And I just, I've been, I've been, this movie is it like, there are two examples because you watch them in scenes together. It's like but Brenda Blethyn fucking just swinging for it. And then you got Marianne Jean-Baptiste just reacting. Yeah. And it's just, there's a, like, there's a stillness. Yeah. That her stillness is, is breathtaking, which is why. Again, I don't remember much of English Patient, but it was Juliette Binoche yes. that won, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, 
without even having and, rewatched English Patient, I'm going to say that's the wrong fucking choice. And Julia Binoche gets to, she gets a lot of big crying scenes. She, she, um, she's taking care of Ray Fiennes in the movie and like reacts a lot to his story. And she's got a love interest and she's, she's got more scenery to, and again, and, and honestly, Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas are the more, it's, they've got the more restrained realistic love story. So yeah, Julia Binoche looks showier by comparison. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think we were definitely in an age of rewarding those showy performances. But, I mean, still, Frances McDormand was 100% the right choice. Oh, for Fargo? Yeah. Oh, but but then again, she there is there is an emotional... I mean, yes, she created a character, but I actually... I like her ups and downs. The way she has to react to the fucking Mike, whatever whatever his last name is, the the guy who, who like, meets up with her and, like, is basically trying to come on to her, which she's like... Yeah. That, anyways, that's a tangent. That but, seems great. Yeah. That seems great. Anyway, man, yeah, I don't know. Do am I am I off base when I'm talking about the divide between television and film actors? Do you feel that watching this film is that, is that kind of resonating? I I don't I don't I mean I it I hear what you're saying because I don't even think Leslie Manville is all that good in this movie, which pains me to say because oh, I love her. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. Really? Yeah. I she's I, just she's so like. I get it. She's got a hard job and she's like, it feels like a position that would keep you on edge, but she is just, she is like spitting out her dialogue. Like it's just rapid fire. I, kn- like, I know, but that, take like, dude, take a fucking breath. But no, but like, but it's, she's playing that with, she's constantly looking at her watch. I don't know. I, I did. I lost track of how many times she's looking out the door. Like, you know, she's got something else like another person to see another thing to do, which I think is a great way to talk. Like that's a great sort of indictment of, of that sort of, of the system without, right. without spending time railing to get like, ah, like we don't, we don't need a scene later with Hortense being like, Oh, the lady I met with today, man, she, she was short and I couldn't talk to her. It's like, we got it. We totally get it. She's preoccupied. She's got other shit to do. I mean, even when Hortense catches her leaving the building, she's like, and you could tell like <laughs> Leslie Manville's character is like, She's got shit going on in her life. She works nine to five. She's out. She's got something to do. Well, talking about railing against the system, like the name that kept coming into my head watching this movie was Ken Loach. Yeah. Like how much better would this movie have been? I mean, it would become more of an issue movie than a family movie. And see, that's to me, that's the difference between Ken Loach and Mike Lee. They are both, they are both issue driven filmmakers one of them, I, I knew I was gonna. I was gonna say one of them's more family centric, but I can't even say that when you look at like the last three or four movies that Ken Loach has made. But I don't know. I feel like having seen enough, and I still need to see a lot more Ken Loach. But having seen a, a good sampling of both of them now, there's a much more even handedness when it comes to the Ken Loach movies. Even if he is sort of going for the jugular, he's attacking the system more than than Mike Lee does. I mean, and that's, I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think that's, and that's just the difference in in their filmmaking styles. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is more of a family, like a, a slice of life dissection of this particular family. Um, kind of going back to your, your TV acting thing though. It's, it's just one of those things where, you know, you've got, um, you've got Timothy Spall and you've got Phyllis Logan playing the more realistic suburban down to earth, you know, couple so even when she's 
when she's pissed at him, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I don't mean to speak out of her, but like, I've seen my mom be like that before when she's having a shitty day, but there's still so much shit that you have to do. Like, like, so like you've got those more grounded, believable suburban lives. And maybe, maybe I'm just saying that because I, I can, I can see those characters. I can, I, like, I, I see those characters clearly versus like Cynthia and Roxanne, who are, you know, they're a little bit, you know, they're below the poverty line. One's a recovering addict. Like, they've clearly got these things that they're working through. And I can't say, like, that That wasn't my day-to-day growing up. I don't know that. So, I don't know if it's a difference in acting or just them kind of playing into the circumstances of of those characters. Because, I like, I think... Like, you know, personally, I think I think Claire Rushbook, who plays Roxanne, is going... Up, I think she's doing a bit much through throughout the movie. Oh. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm talking about. Her and and Paul, all of that stuff. Like that, none of it clicked with me. But but also like it's but it's tough though because I don't I don't know anybody like totally personally like this. But like you know acquaintances or friends of friends like I, they, those people do exist, and so that's why I don't quite oh, yeah yeah I don't quite reach to that TV acting level as much as just like these are just like really strong actor choices and and maybe it's too much i don't know i also think it's 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 tough because i and i should have done this i claire rushbook does not look 21 she looks like she's almost 30 and i don't really believe that that it's her 21st birthday well if you if you go along those lines that means that that brenda blethen is playing 42 and that means that i think i think timothy spall is playing like 37 38 something like that and again i'm like dude like could we have cast people that actually look that age? As much as I and I love Timothy Spall, yeah. I think he's a phenomenal. Actor. It's a shame that so many people just know him for the Harry Potter movies, but oh, dude is a yeah. genuinely great actor in yes. everything I've seen him in. Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. I, he's yeah, he's he is one of those reliable that that guy actors. I mean, you know, yeah. I, you mentioned you mentioned Toby Jones yes, in, yeah. in The Mist. He's he's one of those guys. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He, even if he pops up in garbage, he is going to be someone to watch. And like I, so you, you, we mentioned earlier that this movie really wasn't written per se; that it was more of an idea, and that these, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what was done was sort of improvised or based off of improvisations. But there was so much about the dialogue that felt so, so real, and how some of the lines felt so, like so bitter without having to say anything too egregious. Um. There was, I, they keep talking about um, uh, Timothy Spall goes to visit Brenda Blethyn, uh, you know, and kind of comes out of the blue. And they're talking about, you know, I think she finally breaks down and, t- you know, he says something like, you know, you could have called me. And she's like, there's nothing there's nothing the matter with your dialing finger. And there was I think underneath a lot of this stuff is this idea of it is it in, in theory is so easy to pick up the phone. And call and, and talk to somebody who you haven't talked to in, in probably a ridiculous long amount of time and just be like, hey, how the fuck are you doing? What's going on? What's new with you? But like we don't like I would say a majority of people don't do that. We don't do that. And and the and sort of what that goes with as well is this idea of like our families, right? The people that we are closest to should theoretically be the people that we are the most open with the the most vulnerable with the most like i need to tell you something and like what this again what part of what this movie shows is like no because it's like you care about them so much it's like you don't want to burden them with your shit and like just 
watching these people refuse to just reach out for help or even reach out to say hi. Like something about that felt so genuine to me. And I think that's the, it may be in the, and like, like I think this is kind of maybe like the, the way that Pather Panchali struck a chord with you lyrically. Like I think for me, the, the circumstances and the dialogue, like just really, really hit home and sort of like nuzzled deep into my, like my cerebellum. Like I just, it's just like rattling around in there right now. No, I, I have nothing. I get, I love the dialogue in it. I just, and I, the performances that I like in this movie, I really like, like, so we talked, we hinted earlier about a scene that we both think could come out. The scene with Stuart, the guy that sold Morris that, that Photoshop, like the, I, I think he's great. I love that dynamic between them where this guy who's lost it all now come back has come back and he wants a little bit of this you know, former life that he used to have yeah. and get back to, to something meaningful in his life again. I The performances I love, I really love. And the performances I hate, I really hate. <laughs> like Roxanne, Paul, Cynthia, like all of them are just... And it's not but, even about the fact that they're playing characters with a class divide. That's like got nothing to do with it because I, sim- I empathize with the characters. I just don't like the... There's not enough internalization, but isn't but, but with these characters. And while and while you might and yes, isn't that the point? Well, no, no. I just think that's it's that's really interesting though that those are the three that you're referring to, and they are the lower class characters. And I think that this idea that maybe there's just I, I don't know, like, and I'm I'm stretching here, and this is by no means my opinion, but like maybe the idea of the casting or the talks about these characters is just they're slightly more of an I don't give a fuck attitude. I mean, the way that the way that um, Cynthia is basically trying to make sure that Roxanne is using protection, that whole scene was so uncomfortable and awkward and kind of hilarious, but also just like Jesus Christ, like and like. So like I I would never talk like that and I would never have Roxanne's reaction and yet I believe I believe that interaction because that's who they are. And there was something about that that even though I was like this is fucked up, I believe that that's happened. I believe that there's a yeah. mother and a daughter somewhere that have had that conversation. And I don't know, maybe it's because maybe it's because I like I said I know I I have known people like this. There have been people like this in my life. Maybe it's just maybe I'm too close to it. Maybe it's too uncomfortable. Maybe the job does. Maybe the film does its job so well that I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend that there isn't like a personal bias. Well, I, I just there should have been. There's just uh, the scenes that, like I said, the dialogue when it's good, it's really, really good. The unbroken take in the cafe. The there's there's that is like the shining crown jewel in this movie the performances there are spectacular and i just wish that brenda blethen had done a bit more of that internalization throughout the entire movie yeah because when it's well and okay. the, the highs are so fucking high but like but then like what i want to <laughs> i love this but then my immediate response to you on that is it's 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 what we all do in life we all do this where like, like, hey, for instance, you and your lovely wife are going to come over to our place tomorrow. And like our our social masks will be pretty much down. Right. Like we know yeah. each other. We know each other very well. We all get along 
we we have similar viewpoints on things. So like there's there's no like I'm going to be on my best behavior kind of thing. Right. Versus like if you go over to a family thing on a holiday. Right. You 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 know, you, you put on a version of your best self. You go for a job interview. You're trying to present the best version of you as possible. Right. And and I tell me like I, I teach to my students all the time. Like we wear masks in different situations. So the reason that Brenda Blethyn is the most palatable for you in that scene is because she is putting on airs to an extent. She's in a restaurant she's never been in, talking to somebody she doesn't know about something that she doesn't really want to even be fucking talking about. So of course she's the most grounded and real in that scene because because she's not she's not in her home. She's not with her daughter. She's not getting to, to do all of those things. And yes, that scene is fucking amazing. There are two there are two things that happen in that scene that I fucking love and that like other people who would watch you probably wouldn't give a shit about there's a scene where she reaches well okay before this hortense tells her that she hasn't touched her tea do you know whose tea is full to the brim hortense's that is such a great weird thing to be like your tea's getting cold when she clearly hasn't touched hers and then the other thing is when she goes to reach when um when cynthia goes to reach for her tea she um she hits her cigarettes and the lighter that's on top of it falls off. You, you can hear a clickety clank on the table for a second. In any other movie, they would fucking reshoot the entire scene because that that's a thing that doesn't have to happen. And like the way in which things just happen in this movie is great. Now I've said all of that. I really quickly now want to. I do have a nitpick. I don't think that Mike Lee is a great camera director. Um. Oh, I 100% agree. There is there's the scene at the birthday party <laughs> where they're all like he's he's finished he's you know he's, he's grilling and they're bringing dinner and they're bringing food and stuff and that's the other really long unbroken take and the, the choreography in that is insane so what everyone is doing. The choreography is great and it feels very much like in like the the theater guy in me loved it, loved the blocking and stuff. The problem though is that the camera is clearly sitting in the spot where Timothy Spall should be sitting except for he doesn't sit. He stands behind everybody and it feels it feels it I, I, I'm a theater guy, so this is going to pay me to say this, but it feels too much like a play. It feels like oh, nobody's yeah. back should be to the camera, so Timothy Spall is going to stand, even though, theoretically, there's a spot open for him. It's just that happens to be where the camera is. I... I and that's the... And like, I love Topsy Turvy, and I, and I really liked Vera Drake as well, but, like, the camera work in those movies is very... Eh. Yeah. And like the fact that he got a best director nomination this year, that like, and you said you, you were surprised that it went one way or the other. I'm not. I don't think he's a. I like. I I think his movies are good, but like the, his work with the camera, not so much. That's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I would take. Uh, this is a why. If we're gonna have another British director in there, take Mike Lee out and put Danny Boyle in for Train Spotting. That would in a million years never ever fucking happen, but it should have. And but like but and that's the thing is like. There's such a film style to train spotting that I I'm I'm you know I I think I think the academy has changed so much in the last couple of years that like that kind of a nomination could could have happened today but just not back then. Too many Well, yeah, look look how long it took for him to get you know the nomination and the win. Like yeah. that that was a in the grand scheme of things probably not so much but in Danny Boyle's career it was a it was a while coming. He had been deserving it for a while. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, yeah, that that that, that barbecue scene and the pe- uh, just a nitpicky, stupid detail 
the size of the piece of meat that he brings over to Paul is insane. <laughs> it's literally half a fucking cow. Although I think even somebody like makes that joke. There was also I don't know why I took this note. I took a lot of notes, especially because I thought the dialogue was so great. But I think I think Cynthia asks Paul if he wants a salad. He's like, no. And my my note was, of course Paul doesn't want a fucking salad. And I went dot dot dot. Fuck you, Paul. <laughs> that was all I could yeah. put. <laughs> That's what I on I took the most notes during the two long unbroken takes because I was just absolutely enamored with them. I wanted to make sure that I got as much as I possibly could of the details, and I even missed that cigarette thing that you were talking about the the lighter. Yeah, I caught I caught the cup of tea, but I didn't catch the the cigarette because I was so like into what Brenda Blethyn was. As I said, I mean I've talked enough shit about her, but I was also like I said when she's on. She's incredible. Yeah, there's another... But the problem is, is that she's always fucking on. It needed... Yeah. I keep coming back to this. It needed an even hand. Somebody to come and be like, could you just... A little too much. Can we just dial it back? Dial it back just a, just a touch, just a hair. Um, uh, a couple of things that I just thought of, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on these. So, I, 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 I think this is obvious, but I, but I just want to gauge this. When... When Cynthia calls Hortense back, not not to not to meet, not to meet the first time, but when when Hortense is reading the book and she's like, "Hey, I, I had that was that was great that we met the other day." Is Cynthia calling her for the right reasons? Ooh, I don't know. I would need I would need more time to think about that. I'm not sure, but that's a great question. Because if if the movie, if, if, if what happens towards the end, and I think we will we'll obviously talk about the, what happens after, like after the, the candles get blown out of the birthday party. Um, my, my thought is that Cynthia somewhere, even if it's a small part of her, knows that she has nothing going on in her life and that this is something. This is somebody who reached out to her wants to wants to actually interact with her and then at the birthday party because um and th- this is my opinion but like because um Maurice and and Monica outshine the gift right they there's a load of cash in that card right yeah my thought is that because Cynthia gets outshined she's basically it's like fuck it I'm going to make this now about me. And that's why right, she right. drops is, is, I mean, am I off base with that or is that? No. And that's, that's the other thing that I think is, is hits, hits home and is, is so hard for me to watch in her performances. Everything in this movie, it is all about her. And yeah, like you said, she doesn't, yeah, I, now that I've said it out loud, I don't think she calls Hortense back for the right reasons. I, it just, it's got nothing to do with Hortense. It's, it is, it's all about her. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I just, but like, and, and so it's, and it's so funny because the, the revelation, like, like, and then I feel like I have so much to say about like after that happens. Right. Cause, cause there's lots of it that I find so like nuanced and interesting. And, and like, I think, I think this one line tells you almost all you need to know about Cynthia where like it's come out and and Roxanne has just said like what she calls her mom a fucking slag and you didn't have just one bastard but two and she's like she's freaking out right she's just Roxanne's like this is my birthday and it's all fucked now 
And then Maurice says something about like this wasn't the right moment. And then, but Cynthia's response. Yeah, he's like, you don't, you don't, you don't half pick your moments. Yeah, and then yeah. she goes, but when's the right moment, Maurice? To which I think most people watching this would be would wrote what I wrote, which was not fucking now. Yeah. Except when you're somebody like Cynthia, you never feel like you have a moment, right? Whether or not that's true or not is is it doesn't matter, right? But. For somebody who's got her mindset, she doesn't know when it is. Like I, I honestly think she has, she doesn't know that this is the wrong time. Yeah. And well, that's I'm I'm so glad that I rewatched Change to bring it back to one of my, my yeah. bits of banter earlier. I'm so glad that I watched Changing Lanes this week because there's a great scene towards the end of that film. William Hurt plays uh, Sam Samuel L. Jackson's sponsor, yeah. and he calls him out like, you know, your your drug of choice may have been alcohol, but that's not what your addiction was. Your addiction was chaos. And that's that's exactly she she's known and it's not necessarily her fault ever since she was 15 and probably even earlier because yeah. her mother died so young. That's all she's ever known. And when that's all you've ever known, of course, you're not going to know how to stabilize without it. Oh, to- she's addicted to the chaos and the drama. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and yes. And I think the fact that, you know, she she got rid of one child when she was 16 and then obviously at some point at some point too had another child that she she gave away and then but she has Roxanne I mean and it seems like Roxanne has had issues on her own it, and it seems like in a real way like Cynthia now is just getting to a point where she can you know quote live her life you know Roxanne being 21 maybe she's going to move out with this guy or whatever but like there there is something about this this woman who has taken care of everybody her entire life. Yeah. She raised Morris yeah. as well. Um, Oh my God. And I just, I love, I really do like the dynamic, even though we only see a little bit of it, of the way that um, Monica feels about, about Cynthia. Oh, there's some, Oh, great- well it's, it's apparent the second she opens the door, the, the, the disdain, that's the a note that I took. I made sure to take is like, you can see Monica's disdain for Cynthia. The second she opens the door. I, I wrote a couple of lines down because um there's uh there's a reference to um th- I I forget what they're talking I this is at some point where um they're Timothy Spall is asking whether or not she can come to the party or can bring a friend or whatever and like and he and this is the back and forth between between um Maurice and Monica he says poor Cynthia she goes Saint Cynthia. Yeah, he go, oh, he that goes, line is so good. He goes, she tried her best. Her response, did she? And it's just like, the, it's just like, you can tell how much, like what she thinks. And it's, ah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's one of those things I feel, I feel so much for, for the Morris character because he's, he got out he got out of a certain lifestyle yeah. you know he got into a stable relationship but you know at the expense of like completely alienating Cynthia you know this is where I try to like I've tried to separate the character from the performance as much as I can because like I said I don't think it's a great performance sure. except in a few very key moments but as I said all she's ever known is chaos she sacrificed as far as we know everything but the the dynamic the dynamic between the two of them is it's it's really painful to watch. I do think that's that scene where he he surprises her by coming to the house. I mean, it's among the best stuff in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I it's it's it might be wrong, and it might be because I'm you know a guy 
I'll wait for that to pass. Oh, can you hear that? Yeah, that's pretty fucking yeah. loud, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it might be because, you know, I, I'm a male. I'm seeing it from the male point of view. But, man, I, I empathize with him so much. I'm like, dude, yeah, get get out of there. Like, this woman is just going to drain you emotionally. And you, you did the right thing getting out when you can. But it's also, that's a super fucked up thing to say because she, she needs him. Yeah, and I don't. I I mean, I I. It's this, a weird dichotomy. This might be a stretch. I don't think that's a male thing, though. I I mean, I think in another world, it, it, Maurice could have been a, a sister, a younger sister, and it, it's just this, right, It's right. it's the fact that Maurice was able to leave that house, to become quote unquote successful, to live the quote unquote normal life, right? And, and that, and that uh, Cynthia had to stay. Cynthia was the yeah. one who sacrificed, and. And and I mean maybe gender plays into it a little bit, but I I just think that it's the fact that Maurice was able to go, and and yeah. do what essentially what he wanted to do, and um and Cynthia not so much. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the birthday party then and the aftermath. Um, yeah. Movie's called Secrets and Lies. It is. Is there is there one too many secrets and or lies? Because I got to tell you that the number of reveals that come and when they're stacked on top, because obviously, you know, this whole thing is going to go. You've seen it. You've seen enough dramas. You know, this thing is not going to end well. Yeah. Right. But there may hopefully there'll be a reconciliation, which sort of thankfully there is at the end of the film. But. And again, I don't want to sound like a dick. I'm very sympathetic to to you can't have children. I mean, that's that's terrible. Is it one thing too many? Yes. Okay, good. It's, I'm glad we're on the same page there. It's it's not just that it's it is one thing too many, but also the the bomb, the the like the thing that sets this off is the fact that Hortense is Cynthia's daughter. Following it up with the fact that that uh uh Monica can't have kids, yes, while devastating is not nearly the gut punch that the the Hortense reveal is, right? And right, so when right. it when it comes out when it when it comes out that she can't have kids, it's like this doesn't feel nearly as important as it probably could or should have. Well, it's also sandwiched in between another quote unquote About- reveal that we've kind of been guessing the entire time is, you know, Roxanne doesn't know who her father was and she reveals who the dad was and that he was actually he, he was a decent guy. You know, and then Hortense chimes in because Cynthia's told her nothing about her father. She's like, what about me? Was my dad a nice guy? And she goes on that. Don't, don't, don't break, break my heart. Yeah. That's, yep. which is like, okay. So that's just told us everything we need to know. You were raped. Yeah. There's, there's no, you can't draw any other picture. So to sandwich the, the adopted daughter reveal and the fact that she was raped and, you know, putting the, the Monica can't have kids in the middle of that, those two gut punches, it kind of, it lessens the blow on a, it's, it's sort of flippant towards that issue, which I really have a problem with. It's sort of, I lost a little bit of respect for the movie in that scene. Well, and, but it's, it's funny though, because, and I, here's the thing, we, we've just said all that and I totally agree with it. That I mean, that, that is absolutely my mindset as well. But because of that reveal, we see Cynthia do possibly the nicest thing she does in the entire movie, which is to give Monica a hug. Right. So it's like, you know, it's like it's you're you're weighing everything, right? Is it is it worth that reveal to to see Cynthia do something nice? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We also get we also get the Timothy Spall blow up scene. 
which how else do we kind of get there without that? So it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, it's, it is one thing too many, but you also, it's, it's a, it's a weird step that you need to get to these other couple of moments. I don't know. It's, it's again, it's this weird juxtaposition that doesn't quite work for me, but I, I will acknowledge the need for something of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but the, I tell you the one thing that can absolutely fucking go, because everybody's having a cry, except Paul, because he's probably dead oh, inside wait, and wait. a piece of shit. Jane. <laughs> when Jane starts going, I, I got, dude, I gotta find my note. I, I, I have to, I have to say this verbatim. It's just, again, in, in when you've got one thing too many, I was like, oh, I put a big old star by it. Christ, even Jane is having a cry in the background, and she goes on to say, oh, I, oh, wish Morris, I, I wish I had a dad like you. I'm sorry, just cut the Jane character completely. She serves absolutely no purpose in this movie. Yeah, I... Th- yes, and I think I think we... We need to talk a little bit about the... Um, the, the Stewart scene. Because... It's just unnecessary. It, it it really is. It's it's interesting. There's nuance. There's past. There's it, we get to see Timothy Spall kind of kind of have a backbone. You know, he's been kind of passive. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, it's nice to see him stand up for himself when he couldn't. I and that's the reason I think it's there is he doesn't stand up for himself with Cynthia. He just lets her be like an emotional fucking vampire to him. But we do get to see that outside of his relationship with Cynthia, yeah, he does. He is a man with a backbone. But like, I'm I'm sorry though. This is, I mean, I, you don't need it. It doesn't. No, it it's no. it is just too long. And 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 I, I didn't really feel the length of the movie. And and I think we had different we had different viewing experiences. But I was I was so in it. And to me, this is this is the the eyesore of the film. This is the thing that just stands out. It it doesn't further the plot if anything yes it it gives timothy spall that little bit of 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 character that we needed to see that will sort of maybe propel him into the that last scene that we get but holy shit it i man i just didn't know i i really didn't know why this was in here yeah well and certainly at the at the length that it goes on i will i will grant you that maybe it should be in there but maybe not at the length that it is yeah it was uh oof Maybe maybe we go straight into Stuart being obstinate and a prick rather than him beating around the whole beating around the bush with like the cup of tea. Even though I do like the moment where he like clangs his teeth against the cup of tea. Yeah, it's a there's good bit of sound design there, but I mean, there's and that's the thing. There's a lot going on in the scene, but it just it, it what it amounts to is is uh, nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, same with the the bit that precedes it. I think the bit that precedes it doesn't help either. Where he's photographing the woman with the insurance claim getting you know she's got the scar on her face and she wants to look as bad as possible i mean it's interesting it's just from a different movie yeah i think but yeah thank god that one is just so much shorter i mean it really is just compared to the Stewart thing it's it's brisk well i i look at them as an extension of each other because she leads into you know Stewart is badgering her as she leaves i mean that's like that's like 12 to 14 minutes right there that's that's out of your movie you can get this thing down to under two hours yeah um, I and I guess the, I mean I I think I've said a lot of what I wanted to say. I I'm curious. Uh, there's there's two more things I I have to mention. Um, one of them is just, did you see the barbed wire poster in Paul's room? 
Oh, I didn't with with Pamela Anderson. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I didn't. I didn't catch that. That was hilarious. That that was just great because I'm I'm I I know I whether it wasn't barbed wire, but I know in my youth I had a Pamela Anderson poster on my wall. That's just a, oh that's you. A, that's a, in the in the Baywatch the One Piece. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right her <laughs> her right next to Carmen Electra. That was that was up in my room. Um, what do you think of the ending? I like the, I really like that scene. I do too. Okay. I, I really like the the fact that they these two girls they're now acknowledge the fact that they're half sisters. They're standing by that little bit of the the greenhouse, the little bit of garden that's back there and they maybe it's a bit too on the nose. The dialogue could have maybe been a little bit more nuanced, but they talk about the fact that how would you introduce me if we were to go out to a pub tonight together? She'd be like, I, you, you're my half-sister. That's what you are, so that's what I would tell people. It's important. that The line that I don't like that I think could be a bit more nuanced is, it's important to tell the truth. I'm like, all right, it's when you've got a movie called Secrets and Lies, it's a little bit on the fucking nose. Sure. Maybe we could have refined that a little bit, but I... I, I, on the whole, I like the scene. I like the final line yes. where she's like, "This is this is the life." Oh, this is the she's life. Acknowledging, yeah, this is the life. Like, yeah, no. See that that line, you could argue, is more obvious, but it's also, I think, to a degree, it's earned that over the line about telling the truth. Yeah, it has, and and it it's it's a reminder for every. I mean, it's a reminder to those watching it that yes, we. We all have shit going on in our lives. We all do. We and we all have our own thing, right? Which is why each person is unique and special in their own ways. And it's also why everybody also like that's why nobody fucking matters too. It's like it's it's this weird thing that like everybody's life is special and everybody's life is not. And that it, once you can kind of accept where you are and what you have, like it's this you know it's like it, and people people might maybe only get a moment like that once every year or so where it's like. Okay, yes. This this is good. I'm good with where I am, right? Cuz no. there's just so much going on and, and it was I I just loved after all of the shit and everything that happened that it was nice that you know, and that for anybody to say it that it was Cynthia. For Cynthia to be able to say that this is the life. It, yeah. It's nice to see her finally. And it goes back to that like one of the earliest things I could said in the movie is that picture of her when she was a kid and he goes that might have been the last time she smiled. And now look. Yeah, we got her. We got her smiling again. Yeah. No, it definitely it definitely earns that ending. Uh, I mean, we didn't really talk about one of the the most important issues in the movie, and that is like adoption and uh, the rights of adoptee children. Just basically, because I I honestly I don't know much about it, but the one that and as you mentioned at the top of the show, there's not a ton of trivia. It was awesome to see, and this might be one of the only films in film history that was positively picketed with that that group bastard nation that that you know the film helped to get it out there the the, the rights that you have if you are an adopted child so that's that's kind of cool yeah for sure and that's and it is that scene with Leslie Manville is very you know it's very informative it's very much it, I don't want to say it's an exposition dump but it really is a lot of information it's a lot well it's 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 the Ken Loach scene but but I also that's I but I did like it I liked it it felt I just liked the way that it, it, it went about Everything no. it was trying to do. Well, are we are we there? Well, do we? I I mean I I don't I don't have a favorite shot, but my favorite I think we agree oh, on the cafe the cafe yes. scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have an unsung hero? Because this this one was tough. This is tough, and I I mean Timothy Spall was nominated at the BAFTA, so it's kind of hard to say he's an unsung hero. Yeah. 
But I do him and him and Monica. I do really love their scenes together. Yeah, my, mine was mine was Mary and John Baptiste was was mine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she here's the other deal is she was also nominated as well. I know she was, but she also should have yeah. been up for for lead. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But that's I, I'm I'm just I yeah that's that. Um, yes, I Ian, my good friend. I think we are. I think we're there. I think it is time for our secrets and lies to be revealed so Ian oh you cheesy bastard you <laughs> come on I had to that's it the podcast's over ah, we, no, we, ah, come on ah, everybody loves a pun yeah um Ian should secrets and lies be in the book well you know I like a long rambly answer and this one won't be any different <laughs> uh so, despite my obstinance about the fact that I believe that at one point Mike Lee did have two films in the book, and I swear to fucking Christ, Naked was in there. Um, if Mike Lee only has to have one in the book, which he currently does, it's just this one, yes. this isn't the one. Okay. It's not, it's not this one. I would take this out. And honestly, I mean, I love Mr. Turner. I love uh, Another Year with Jim Broadbent. And uh, Ruth Sheen, who else is in there? That's, again, it's a lot of, like, it's all, like, the best of Mike Lee's. It's like a Mike Lee greatest hits movie, almost. Yeah. Uh, I really like that one. Um, I wish I had seen Naked, because I'm, I'm sure Naked, to me, is, it sounds like his most interesting and controversial movie. But, honestly, I'd put Vera Drake in. If, if I can't have, if I can't have two Mike Lee movies, it would be Vera Drake and Mr. Turner, but if I can't have two, then... It'd be it'd be Vera Drake for sure. It's just a more even-handed, level-headed, beautiful performance piece. I mean, Imelda Stanton, Brenda Blethyn doesn't hold a candle to Imelda Stanton, and I know they're they're two very different performances. But sure. I mean, Imelda Stanton still gets to go big when she's arrested, but she does it in such a controlled, beautiful, nuanced way. I still feel the level of pain that Brenda Blethyn is trying to get across the screen, but it's done... I don't... Ugh, that's shitty to use the word more professionally, so I won't, but it's just... It's just everything this performance is not. Well, I'll leave... That's a, Except in the case of the cafe scene. Well, and that's where... I think that's a great way. I'll segue into mine, which... And I'll lead off with my answer, is that I do think that this should be in the book. And, and that I am not a Mike Lee aficionado. I have not seen enough of his work. And I, I really like Topsy Turvy. Um... But Topsy Turvy is such a. Um, I a, think you already made the case for Topsy Turvy going in the book. I think you replaced um, uh, the Yankee Doodle Dandy. I've got the list open. I'm just seeing. Uh, do it. Am I? Am I? Re- tell me, my memory still works. Your memory is spot on, my friend. Um, awesome. Uh, but 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 if in it and and I do and I do I do think it should be in the book, but. If sort of using this idea that like Mike Lee only had one film in the book, and again, I'm very limited on my Mike Lee films. Um, I do think that this is is the one, and you still you still go this over Topsy Turvy. I, I would, yes, because um, I think Topsy Turvy is such a unique movie that I think I think people would would enjoy, but it's really for like theater nerds. I mean, let's be real; it's about Gilbert and Sullivan and and their performance of the Mikado. It's like that's really, really specific. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. But I think why the Brenda Blethyn um performance and 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 same for and I and I've been getting her name wrong, so I want to make sure I get it right here. Claire Rushbrook. 
as much as their performances seem to be over the top, I, I always have them in comparison to the other actors in the film. And I think in that way, the movie is balanced. I, I love the stories. I love the connections. And yes, while there is easily 14 to 16 minutes of this film that you could get out, um, that is not enough for me to, to take away, honestly, the way I felt watching the movie, which was riveted and into the relationships and, and wanting to see kind of like what, 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 uh, what Ebert said, like feeling like I was eavesdropping and wanting something bad to happen, but also hoping that they could get through it. Like wanting to see all the shit happen. And I was, I was my apprehension. I definitely definitely respect your point of view on this one. And I, I, I am engaged by the story. I just think Mike Lee, he's done better. If he has to have one, this is, this is not the one for me. Well, and, and, and that's, and I, I, I think again, I, I, I would love if this was like our job and I could have spent the last week just watching Mike Lee films because I'm sure oh, I would yeah, have a, me too, man. a way more regulated and informed answer to that question. I, I, but I don't, but, but given what I've seen and given, given my personal response to the movie, um, I'm going to go with, yes, it should be in the book. Ian went with, no, it shouldn't be in the book. Replacing it with another Mike Lee film, uh, Vera Drake. However, as always, we want to know what you think. Have you seen Secrets and Lies? What is your favorite Mike Lee film? And all of the other fun-related film questions that you come up with. So please, find us on Facebook and on Twitter and hit us up. Let us know. Shout us out. Give us a question. Start a debate. We love doing that kind of stuff. Um, if you want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. $3 a bucks. Three bucks a month. Uh, well, you can recommend a movie for us to watch. $5. We'll do a whole goddamn episode on it. Um, you can find us on Stitcher and Spotify and Google Play and apple and like i think like we're on audible now which is through amazon like we're on all the places like it just it's just like we're, we're out there on in the in the ether so if you search a thousand one by one you will find us you will find our shit um i'll announce this now because i think um it, this will be old news but still um we we are dropping a bunch of stuff from our archive that we thought was released uh very soon so 21 episodes all the way from 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 stalker to raging bull uh are coming back so a, a lot of good stuff is going to be available again um and us, yeah, listen to us figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it was a journey. <laughs> it's been a journey. Um, and stay tuned next week as we do our third, even though the, you know this is an English-speaking film, we're doing our third non-US film in a row next week. It's a Patreon pick. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about that. But That's another another first for me. I've never seen a film from this director. Oh, I've, I've only seen one, but still, I'm very limited in my knowledge. So um, I'm excited to, to get some other of uh, this person's films in my under my belt as well. Um, but until next week, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.